Hi, I'm Marika, and welcome to Money Chill Out. On this podcast, I want to dive into the world of the often unspoken topic of money. Effective personal finance management can be a great liberator, but also a huge stress factor in our lives. After a 10-year career on trading flows in London, I want to help demystify the intimidating world of finance and have an open, honest and frank conversation. By opening the discussion, I wish you identify yourself, learn, be inspired and get empowered. Every other week, I'll be joined by guests for conversation on money, mindset, investment habits and any best practices they abide by. So join me on this journey as we unpick the complexities of finance and get more comfortable talking about our money. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome Lindsay, a pretty inspiring profile in the finance industry with 20 years of experience. She started in New York City at Merrill Lynch before going back to Seattle, where she runs a family business in financial planning and advice. Throughout her career, she's seen the need for greater female engagement, both in the field and in personal finance, and she's decided to do something about it. Through workshops, consulting, and the writing of a book, she wants to empower women and give them the confidence they need. So let's learn more about all these projects and get some great tips from an expert. This podcast has a different format than usual. We went through so much content and interesting subjects during our chats that I couldn't fit everything in less than 30 minutes. So I found it wise to split the recording into two parts so that you get the full richness and benefit of this discussion. In this episode, we're talking about career paths, thriving in finance, and what it is to be a financial advisor. In our next episode, we'll tackle the investment subject and some initiatives to empower women taking ownership of their finances. Hi, Lindsay, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, great, great. Super excited to have you, really. Thanks so much for taking the time. And even though we've never met, we actually have a lot in common. So we have kind of the same work experience, the same interest in helping people manage their money, and as well the same interests so that women reach financial peace of mind. So yeah, very pleased to meet you and learn from you. I'm really excited to be here and I look forward to being part of the conversation that you've started with women about their personal finances. And I was able to listen to some of your other conversations and you've had such a interesting people on and really kind of different perspectives, which I think is fantastic. So yeah, it's really, really great. Cool. <laughs> Amazing. So you have more than 20 years of experience in finance. So I guess you're super at ease with money. Yeah. You know, I've been working in finance ever since I was in college. So that 20 years includes some of my um, time at university, but my experience with money really started at a young age. My father is a financial advisor. And so in my household, we talked about money, which I know is maybe unique to a lot of other people's experiences. So it was always something that was an open discussion. I really wanted to have a good understanding of the mechanics of money, the importance of earning it, saving it, and also really how to create opportunities by leveraging it, you know, borrowing money when, when maybe you didn't have it and something seemed out of reach. So it was always a topic that was open for discussion and, and interested me. And then I really think my passion for working in finance 
grew when my parents divorced. So they separated. And even though we'd always had open topics about money, I really found that my father was the one that drove everything financial in our in our household. And so it was really a bit of a challenge for my mother to kind of get her footing coming out of that circumstance and get reestablished working and um, gaining her own financial independence again. So that's something that's really stuck with me and um, really inspired me to work in finance and specifically to help women have a better understanding of their financial circumstances. Mm-hmm. And what age were you when the divorce? I was 14. Okay, so quite early on. So you had this interest and then you studied to go into that past, right? Yes. So um, I think that those kind of early experiences that we have with money really do shape us um, so profoundly. So I did go on to study finance at university. So I moved to New York and studied finance at NYU and really got you know my feet wet understanding finance in New York, which is a great place to really get exposure to the entire world of finance. Mm-hmm. And so you started in New York in a really male-dominated environment. So it was not on a trading floor. I was actually working in financial advising. I was on a team with an advisor that was the largest producer in our office. And it was still, though, male-dominated, to your point. There were females that were working there, but not in an advisor role. So I think similar to your experience, you know, females were in the minority and especially in that advisor capacity. So it was really interesting to me to, again, have those early experiences I had in my life reinforced with seeing that this was a male-dominated space where men were really the ones that were helping all of these individuals and institutions from a financial planning perspective. Mm-hmm. And how did you manage to thrive and create your own path in this kind of an environment? Did you have role models that helped you? So I really was fortunate in that I had a lot of colleagues, bosses, professors that were champions for me. So while there wasn't necessarily a female role model that I could look at and say, that's you know what I'm striving to be and what I'm looking to do, I think that since I had some family experience in the business. I came in with a good understanding of what financial advising was. And it was also uncommon for younger people to enter this side of finance. So earlier you asked me, you know, what was I doing in finance? And you're right. All of my counterparts from school were going into investment banking, trading, corporate finance. They were doing something that was totally different than this space that I was looking to go into. So I think that a lot of the bosses or even male mentors that I had really kind of recognized that this was something that I got from the beginning, that I was really determined and driven. I could have stayed at home and worked in my family business, but instead I wanted to go out and kind of create my own path. And I was really able to learn a lot from the different roles that I held working at Merrill Lynch. And that allowed me, I think, to really hone in some of those skills that it takes to be successful in this space. Yeah. So why did you leave Merrill Lynch and what made you come back to Seattle? So when I went to New York, I think that it was really for the purpose of getting an education. And obviously that included the degree that I received, but also the experience. So I wanted to get out there and really make sure that, you know, financial advising was something that I was passionate about, that I was interested in, and frankly, something that I could do. So, you know, working at Merrill Lynch as an intern and then staying on and working full time for the years following my completion of my degree really gave me an opportunity to get that exposure and experience. But I really didn't 
want to settle down there long term. So as I started to kind of evolve out of that support role in in the job that I had and was really wanting to become an advisor on my own, it came time to think about, okay, where do I want to establish roots so that I can build out my client base? And so in my mind, that was coming back home to Seattle. And while my father and I had never really talked about me working in the business, I thought it could always be an opportunity. So it was kind of the right time for us to have a conversation about was there an opening for me to come work and what could that look like? And so it was a really exciting time, but also, you know, a little scary in the fact that it felt like a big commitment because I wasn't just going to work at a job. I was coming to work at my family business. And so it felt like that was going to be something much longer term than maybe a traditional role or job could be. So I did something that was a bit out of character for me, but I decided to take some extended time off and I traveled through Europe to really make sure before I came back and was returning home, you know, for a big commitment with the company, that it was the right move for me and that um, that was what I was going to be happy doing. So I got to have a wonderful time traveling, finding myself a bit, and then ultimately did return and start working in the family business. Cool. Because yeah, it definitely there's, as you said, long term, then there's all the emotional affect or aspect of the thing because it's your father so you don't want to disappoint so how is it to run now the family business is your father still in charge or you've taken completely over yep I've taken over completely I purchased the business in January of 2020 right before the pandemic is when I became a small business owner You know, it's been a really trying time just from, you know, jumping in fully and making sure that we were doing everything that we wanted to and needed to do during the pandemic to stay connected with clients and obviously, you know, managing their investments during a volatile time in the investment climate, you know, created some additional complexities, but it really has been a truly wonderful opportunity to carry on the work that the organization has been doing for the past 40 years. So, you know, there's anyone who's a small business owner knows that it's extremely rewarding and also extremely challenging at times. But um, it's really been just a, a fantastic opportunity to carry on the relationships that we've established with our clients and the work that really has gone into getting them to the point where, you know, they're successfully living the financial lives that they want. And that requires ongoing maintenance and support. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And did you make any changes to really make it yours? Because you kind of inherited something that was already really good. But yeah, did you change anything so that it's more to your character, to your values? I think that we're still working on a lot of those things. I worked here for 10 years before before taking over the business. So I've had a big influence on the business strategy. So we've taken some strides towards that already. And I think that we're continuing to work on it to really make it be more personal. The nature of the business that we're in is that it's it's personal because it's money, right? It's a really important aspect of these people's personal lives, but really taking it a step further and wanting to connect with clients. And the pandemic really gave us an opportunity to lean into the relationship side of the business, which I find to be the most rewarding part of financial planning. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, it's pretty interesting because, yeah, so you've changed everything to be online, whereas before, I guess you were more like meeting clients and now it's completely changed or do you plan to come back to how you did before? 
I see. Yes, it has changed dramatically. We do majority of client engagements virtually. So we use Zoom or another form of virtual meeting platform to be able to connect with our clients, to be able to have that face-to-face interaction, but also to be able to share screens and show them numbers and information that's critical to understanding their financial circumstances. So it's been hugely beneficial that technology is at the point that it is. So we were able to seamlessly transition over to that. I will say that it is still challenging for some clients, depending on what age group they fall into, to embrace some of the technology. But um, it's been really fantastic in that we've been able to you know, have uninterrupted business continuation and really also extend our reach. So we have a lot of clients that aren't local where some of them I've never even met before. We've just always talked on the phone. And now with people embracing using videos as a means of connecting has really created an opportunity for us to, again, have that more personal interaction and really connect in a different way. So that's really the results of the pandemic. I can't take credit for that, but that is something that we did have to adjust to. And it's been really fantastic as far as accelerating the way that our business was was heading. And we're completely paperless as well. So, you know, anyone who's ever done a financial transaction knows that there's always documentation that's required and um, paperwork and signatures. And so we really are at the point where we can do everything without ever meeting a client face-to-face. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because there's so many people who hate all this kind of paperwork and so on and so forth. And just thinking about all these papers, they don't want to do anything. So (laughs) that's good. So can you tell us a bit more about financial planning and investment advisor? Like what exactly do you do and how do you get paid? So is it like a fee that a client pays or is it like depending on the product that you recommend, you get a commission? Yeah, that's a really great question. And the answer is that it depends. So that creates a lot of flexibility within our space for us to work with clients at different phases of their financial lives. So being a certified financial planner really gives us an opportunity to partner with a client to help them gain a clear understanding of their current financial circumstances, help them discover where they want their financial future to go, and then together develop a plan or a roadmap that's really going to help them find their way. So we're able to look at the picture today, where we want to go in the future, and really just say, great, these are the things that we should do in order to get to get us there. So when we're working in that kind of model, it's going to be a fee for service engagement. So we look at it and we say that the cross, you know, we anticipate that it's going to take this amount of time for us to do the work on the back end, do this number of meetings for us to meet together and fully understand it. And then, you know, agree upon a fee for service where it's, um, you know, mutually beneficial to have it be us spending our time and the client using their important resources to pay for that. So it really depends on the complexity of the circumstances. The other thing that we look at in that is really, it's great to have a plan, but life rarely goes the way that we think it's going to. So we want to create or identify areas where our plan could get disrupted. So what are the things that we could prepare for unanticipated life events that we could potentially be prepared for that would cause less disruption? So that's really kind of making sure we're protecting the plan and looking at it to make sure that it's it's safeguarded against some of these unexpected life events that can occur and do occur. And that could be loss of a job. It could be, you know, a change in personal circumstances, marriage or divorce, 
the loss of a partner, all of those things are things that, you know, we don't ever want to think about, but unfortunately life happens. So how are we going to be prepared if those instances do occur? (laughs) So it's really having like emergency funds and yeah, absolutely. Because that's really where we can get off track with our, you know, our well-laid financial plans is to have something unexpected pop up that, you know, kind of causes us to lose track. And then it's difficult to get back on track to where we were before. So that's really what the financial planning side looks like. But in addition to that, we manage clients' assets for them. So that's really kind of more that ongoing financial advising where it's someone saying, you know, I've accumulated money. I feel like I've done a really good job of saving, but I'm not sure where to go from here and what I should be doing. So at that point, they're hiring a professional to help them oversee their financial circumstances, which includes the financial plan, but also the ongoing management of their assets. And so that's going to be a different type of engagement where we charge an ongoing fee based off of the assets that they have. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. But it's quite interesting to do both sides because when you need a plan and yeah, you have goals, then it's pretty nice to have someone who can help you manage these goals. Well, it's really important, I think, to have that be the driving factor of about any investing, whether you're doing it or someone else is doing it. The goals are really driving how they're going to be managed. So it's a critical part of your investment world is to make sure you've identified those goals. And I also think it's really wonderful to be able to have it be accessible. So for people who maybe don't want to have the ongoing management because they like doing it themselves or they're still at the stage where they're looking to accumulate the money that you have that management on, it really just makes it accessible to say, well, I I still want to have a plan. I still want to have a strategy and kind of create those milestones for when I know I'm going to be working towards and really have the benefit of having that outlined in advance. Mm -hmm. And so who are your clients? What kind of age, what kind of female or men, and what kind of wealth? Well, it's really across the board. (laughs) That's one of the benefits of being a a second-generation business owner. As I said, we're carrying out work that's been done for over 40 years now. So our clients range from 19 to 90, so we really have those end of the spectrum. But we're working on building up the younger end of our client base. So the fastest growing age group that we have for for new clients coming in is 35 to 55. And in most instances, that's people that have really kind of gotten to the phase of their career where they've said, I've accumulated money, whether it's between retirement or outside retirement funds, I'm making good money and I'm really needing some help and oversight with this. And so the wealth side of that is typically about 500,000 in US dollars that they're looking to have a plan around. And the genders actually split pretty evenly. That's good. Yeah, we tilt towards women just because of some of the messaging and space that we're looking to be in. And also, as we mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of female advisors out there. There's still only 16% of financial advisors are female. So a lot of times if women are looking for for a female advisor, they'll come across us because there's not a lot of them in our area. That's actually really interesting because that was one of my questions, actually. Do you think being a woman financially advising people attracts more women? (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think it does. Yeah. So why do your clients come to you? Like, what do they want to solve? What do they want to get help with? So in most cases, I would say there's a a triggering event that causes someone to seek out financial 
help. And so in most cases, it's a transitional period in their life. So I mentioned some of them earlier, but it could be changing jobs or retiring or um, getting divorced or married for the first time or remarried, starting a family or, you know, losing a loved one. There's typically something that triggers them realizing that while I have a good understanding of my financial circumstances, or maybe I don't have a good understanding of my financial circumstances, but I could use some um, some extra help or some expertise, just like anything else. We get to a point where we're saying, you know, it might be good to have outside eyes looking in on this. So it's really going to be kind of a major life event that happens where they want to reconsider their financial circumstances today and then make sure that they're making good decisions for the future. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Linda, for shining a light on financial advice. I feel you do it on a very modern way, educating and caring about your client's life. So that's great to know why people come to you and yeah, and how you can help them. And I'm personally very pleased to have a kind of a new role model. So for the second part of this interview with Linda, we'll dig into investment principles wealth and women empowerment through financial literacy. Stay tuned. So at the end of this episode, I hope you are as enthusiastic as I am. You can find the notes and the key takeaways on my website at smaricafino.com. And if you want to go further in mastering this beautiful adventure of owning your finances, please contact me. I offer workshops and coaching to guide you through. Finally, if you like this podcast, Please subscribe and spread the word. Lindsay McKay is an investment advisor representative. Securities and advisory services offered through Satera Advisor Network, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC, a broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Satera is under separate ownership from any named entity. McKay Wealth Management is located at 6000 South Center Boulevard, Suite 70, Tequila, Washington, 98188, and can be reached by phone at 206-973-4488.